0: hello everyone and welcome to the flying sage podcast this is your host michael oliver in today's episode i will be speaking with phoebe mcpherson Phoebe is a plant medicine educator and has spent a lot of time advocating for a particular psychoactive plant called Kana. Her days are spent helping others find safety in their bodies and hearts so that they may take their first steps into the world of plant medicine. I personally had not heard much of Kana before speaking with Phoebe, and I know many of you out there will probably be in a similar boat. Kana is a lesser known psychoactive succulent found in the wild in South Africa. It has some really interesting properties and use cases that Phoebe discusses in this episode. So without further ado, my conversation with Phoebe McPherson. Hi, Phoebe. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing?
1: I am good, Michael. Um, It's a gorgeous day here in LA, just a wonderful Monday morning after a really heart opening weekend and a grounding weekend. So just happy to be alive, right? (laughs) How are you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing great. Yeah, similar situation. I'd say it was a heart-opening weekend for me too. Mostly spent in nature, Uh, went on a beautiful hike, and yeah, really enjoying the summer, which feels like it's finally arrived here in Vancouver, like just this weekend. (laughs) So yeah, doing really good, and I'm really thankful that you've taken some time to join me today. I really appreciate getting to connect with you and hear a little bit more about some of the work that you Are doing in this world and some of the things that you're advocating for. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and to, um, yeah, for more people in in our community here with The Flying Sage to learn more about you and, and what you're up to. So thank you.
1: Awesome. You're so welcome.
0: So I thought we'll maybe dive into some questions here. The first question I wanted to ask you was just to see if you could tell us a little bit more about your background. So I'm curious, you know, where did you grow up and what was life like early on for young Phoebe?
1: Um, I love these questions. Thank you so much. Um, So obviously, my name is Phoebe. um, And I am from the east coast of the United States. Um, I was born right outside of Washington, Virginia, or Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia. Um, And young life of Phoebe was very prescribed. You know, I had a very kind of common upbringing for someone growing up on the east coast Uh, lots of expectations around grades and performance and doing things exactly as you are told to do them Uh, which I think really kind of defined early parts of my life but at the same time I, I was having this connection to earth and to nature and I went vegetarian when I was like 12 and I got grounded for being vegetarian and was having these experiences, but didn't really have like the language or the container, or the understanding because of my environment to explore that. Um, and yeah, so that was young Phoebe. I was super adventurous, um, kind of quirky, big emotions and no way to contain them. Uh, and was in kind of the East Coast for a long time. I went to boarding school in England. I uh, spent a lot of time over there. And then eventually made my way over to the west coast in like 2017 2018 and have been here ever since i
0: can't believe you got grounded for being a vegetarian i've never heard that before how did that like what happened there yeah did you, did you push through that and like did you just continue to stay grounded for the rest of your childhood or did you what happened <laughs>
1: Did I stay grounded? I think I was definitely ungrounded in many ways, but um, it was so interesting. And I'm sure my parents will be so <laughs> they'll be like, that's not the way that it happened. But, you know, uh, so I was grounded. They said I couldn't make my own decisions uh, to be vegetarian. And so I stayed grounded and was vegetarian. And then eventually one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? I'm not just like grounded in a vegetarian. I'm going to be vegan. So I stopped eating eggs, stopped eating dairy. And they were like, "What are we gonna do with you? We know nothing about what to do." (laughs) And I was so grateful. My dad ended up. This is like, you know, early two thousands in Washington D.C. Like, vegan is this crazy hippie in California with like dreads and has no shoes, right? (laughs) Like, you do not do this on the East Coast, right? I grew up with parents that work for the government. My mom works for the IMF. My dad works for the defense. Like. This was so outside of their realm of understanding and to have like a 12 year old putting this in front of them, um, I think was just kind of scary for them because they had to be faced with the fact that I wasn't, I was already not going in this prescribed direction. So uh, yeah, I stayed stayed grounded and went vegan and was grounded. And then eventually they kind of came around. My mom still thinks it's a phase that I'm going through and it's been like 15 (laughs) years, but (laughs) we love her nonetheless.
0: Yeah, of course. Oh my God. I take it that's a, probably a pretty big part of your lifestyle then, like given that you're still doing that and you're still practicing that. Um, I'm curious, we can get more into that side of things, but what's maybe something that a lot of people might not know about you um, and doesn't necessarily have to be related to, yeah, like nutrition or um, some of the things that we're going to be talking about in today's podcast, but like, just yeah. what's like maybe a random fun fact that people might not know about you?
1: I, what a lot of people I don't think know is that, most of kind of my childhood i had au pairs so um growing up it, my parents like were there of course but i had au pairs from all over the world so an au pair is a nanny from another country that lives in your house with you how um, do you spell that um a u space p a i r au pair um i actually wanted to be an au pair so it didn't pan out but um it's so interesting because I had these women from all over like South Africa and Norway and Brazil and Portugal and Germany and they were young, you know, like they were 21, 22, 23. They were learning English and living with us and I was exposed to such a wide breadth of understanding and culture and it I think it really planted these seeds that my life didn't have to be prescribed, even though it felt like that. And I think those seeds just kind of stayed deep within me. And when I was finally outside of this containment, right, of like the way that I need, I thought my life needed to go and outside of this containment of, oh, what will people think if I do A, B, and C, that seed. Germinated and began to blossom within me, and really, I think helped push me to where I am today.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. Awesome opportunity. If you like kids who want to go to other countries, you can be an au pair anywhere.
0: Okay. And is it usually women, or is it a balance? Like, are there men that do that too?
1: I think there might be. There might be. Honestly, I don't know. I haven't. I mean,
0: we're all of yours, women.
1: All of mine were women, and I have this memory when I was like nine, I think, eight, and my mom had printed out all these applications, and it was like really cute, and they would handwrite them and scan them in with like a photo of them, and I was sitting in the back when my mom gave me like this huge stack, and she's like, let's go through them together, and I was like learning about all these incredible women from all over the world, And like what they like about kids and learning about them and being able to choose like this one sounds really good or like i'd love to meet her and then getting to have these phone interviews and like these first connections with these women who were like big sisters to me wow
0: that's incredible yeah definitely never would have guessed and it sounds like it was a cool part of your development and yeah the cultural piece there is really really important i think so i'm sure you feel lucky to have had that experience at a young age
1: Oh, absolutely. I was, I was talking with a friend about um, just the xenophobia that I think we see a lot um, in Western society and especially, I think, in the United States and um, how much those experiences really opened me and made me so curious about the world and yeah. wanting to accept and understand cultures rather than shun it because it was different. Um, and I'm, I'm so insanely grateful for that. So.
0: Amazing. Okay. And I'm curious now to ask you about your journey with psychedelics. Um, I know this is probably a, a piece that we connected on initially, um, probably how you yeah. found out about the flying sage and, and then also a big part of kind of our, our last conversation that we had. And so I'm just curious, like if you could take our listeners back and maybe just share a little bit about your experience with psychedelics and maybe where that journey started for you.
1: Yeah. So it's such a big question, right? Like, what has the journey been like? Like, where did it start? And, um, you know, my journey with psychedelics, as we say, speak about them today in this context, only started like three years ago, uh, where I had this really, really profound experience um, with, uh, with psychedelics, um, where... I was with friends and I started laughing and crying at the same time um, and having this realization that I was so desperately unhappy and so disconnected from my body and my heart. Um, and I had gotten so far away from uh, who I felt like I was at my core and that I finally was going to stop caring about what other people thought of my decisions in my life because my happiness and feeling in my heart was what was most important. And uh, since then, it's been cataclysmic, transformative, life-shattering, and life-affirming in all of the ways possible, as it typically is for people, right? And um, I, you know, I, I, like, I drank in college, I smoked weed, like, I had, like, some experiences, but um, I was never really drawn to anything outside of that, and it, I, I just don't think that I was ready. Um, to even face what I need to face within myself and ever since then I've you know it's it's been such a beautiful journey to reconnect with the light within yourself but the shadow and bring it all together and um, there's this beautiful poem by Pablo Neruda called la poesia poesia it means the poem um, and there's this dance in it, um, or stanza where he talks about the entire universe opening, uh, where he experiences the heavens and fastening, opening the throbbing plantations, pierced darkness, overpowering night, the universe, and you being a tiny being, but suddenly have a connection with that. And um, he says, my heart was unleashed in the wind. And it, it describes what the experience has been like for me. It's like, I can finally take a deep breath. And I feel this reconnection to the earth and to plants and to life itself. And um, I don't know if you feel this way and I would love to hear what you think, but um, I think it's something where until you truly experience it, it's so hard to put it into words. Yeah. And then you do and you just get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely resonate with that. I feel like one of the, the primary qualities of the psychedelic experience is the ineffability of it and the inability to describe it in words like words just kind of fall mm-hmm. short the experience itself is outside the realm of language i find and so trying to use words and language to describe it it just yeah it falls short it, it can maybe work and help get pointing in the right direction with someone who's familiar with the experience but yeah i definitely agree um having the experience yourself and having it firsthand is really the only way to kind of come to understand some of the teachings that you can gain from psychedelic experience and Um, just understand the ways that it can open you up. And that's a beautiful passage that you read there from the poem. I really liked liked that, the entire universe opening up. Um, I can definitely resonate with that on some levels from my experiences. And I'm curious for you, like, I'm sure that probably, maybe you can put it into words initially, like when you had maybe your first one or two psychic experiences, maybe that is to what what you felt to some degree, but it might've been hard to put it into words at the time. Um, And I'm curious, is that something that now like you've you've been able to retroactively kind of understand? Like, do you, do you do you feel like you've been able to understand those experiences more as time has gone on? Do they still remain kind of mysterious to you? Or is it more something like now that you have more of these experiences more often, you kind of see the similarities in them. And so um, is that something that maybe you experience still um, with your experiences? I know that's kind of a open, really large open question, but curious what you feel about that.
1: Well, it's a wonderful question, and honestly, I think it's an important question that we should all be asking ourselves and each other, right, especially in this space. And, um, you know, I think in, w- during my first experiences, it, it was confusing and really heart-opening, and it was more like I had these feelings, but um, it was the integration after, right, and like the work and the reason, at least for me, that psychedelics exist is for that integration. And integration has been a constant process over the years. And um, I'll have moments even to this day where I'll have an experience and two weeks later, like something will click. Um, and even if it felt like it clicked in the moment while I was in that experience, something more clicks later, right? And I think that's that's what's going on. We're having these synapses and things start firing in different ways, right? Like our, our perspective of life continues to shift. Um, But definitely looking back at those first experiences, like it was so confusing for me in the moment because I didn't have the words. And now I not only have the words to describe them, but I have the experience to hold what I was experiencing. Right. And what it was is that my heart was opening and that I was reconnecting to my own self for the first time. And for many of us, that is really scary. And it's really scary to wake, wake up. Right. And, see that we are not connected to ourselves and who we want to be is such a far cry from the life that we're leading
0: that's beautiful yeah well it sounds like you've now had quite a few of those experiences that have been heart-opening yeah. and even sounds like your last weekend you described as being really heart-opening so it's nice to hear that you're yes. now grounded and doing that more often and but still doing it right and I guess that's a big part of integration is like it never really ends right you're always continuing to to deepen the opening and deep in the practice so yeah i'm curious yeah. to know like how that maybe has evolved for you but now because i know yeah initially when you have those first experiences it's like it can be pretty like earth-shattering and it can be almost unexpected as well depending on like what sort of education you have about these substances or these different states going into them so it can be like really um it can be distressing i think in some ways mainly because it's unexpected but now you know I'm sure you're in a position where you're intentionally going into these experiences trying to get stuff out of them and deepen your practice so um yeah like what I'm curious to know like what what does your practice look like nowadays in terms of working with psychedelics is it something that you you do fairly often is it something that you have like a schedule in a year is there a certain amount of times that you like to to do it or is it do you go with the flow how, how do these experiences yeah. now come into your life
1: yeah, so yes and no on all accounts. Um, so I've, I first just want to say um, the experiences I had at the very beginning, uh, I think they were like shattering because a lot of the integration piece wasn't there. And as I've gotten further into my work and a deeper understanding of this work and being within the psychedelic space, my focus on integration has become so much more honed in. And for anyone that's looking to explore psychedelics, I think that is one of the most important pieces in feeling safe, both in the experience and after, like feeling safe in emotions coming up and being able to speak them out so that you can begin to integrate them. And I think that's been the biggest thing in the past few years is I feel so much safer in my own voice, in my own heart, in my feelings so that when something comes up or there's something that I wanna say and it might not be perfect, I'm okay to stumble through it. And it's still, it's still a practice. I know um, this past weekend, I was in uh, a really beautiful heart opening ceremony and um, I was still nervous to speak my voice. And thankfully I had friends in there with me, encouraging me and reminding me that that, I, that is a part of my work. Um, but uh, in terms of scheduling, I definitely have a microdosing schedule, um, so I work with psilocybin occasionally, and kanna, and then other functional plants and herbs. And I have a pretty regular schedule for that. And then, um, typically, a larger macrodose is once or twice a quarter. Um, there's definitely been times when I've been. Kind of ratcheting that up, but I think you know there's so much integration that needs to get done. There's so much care for pre and post journey, making sure you're taking care of yourself, taking care of the emotions, and making sure that you really have a strong foundation of stability and safety for that. That um, I don't want to push it, and I don't feel the need to Mm -hmm. push it. Um, I think a lot of my work recently when I, am in a, when I am in a space is trying to hold space for others more, right? Mm-hmm. And being someone that can sit in and navigate that medicine and also um, be a place of safety for someone that wants to open their heart but maybe doesn't feel like they can. Or when they do, it can feel overwhelming and making sure that they feel safe enough to have a really beautiful experience that's wholly their own and wholly sovereign.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, thank you for that. That's, that's a beautiful share. Thank you. So I'm curious to um to hear what are some of the current projects that you're putting most of your energy into these days? What's taking up most of your time?
1: So one really beautiful project is taking up most of my time and I'm so excited that you asked. Um, so I work uh, with a plant called Kana um, and Kana is a medicinal psychoactive plant from South Africa. It has psychoactive properties that would be classified as an empathogen. So empathogens are any sort of substance that increases your ability to feel love, empathy, um, connection to yourself and others. Uh, For example, MDMA is classified as an empathogen. Um, But Connor is a succulent. And it's 100% legal in the United States and around the world. And it can be used in both macro and micro doses. Um, and it's a plant that I have a really, really deep connection with. And so my time recently has been focused on um, a documentary about this plant. So my hope is that we will be exploring hana through the stories and the voices of the researchers, the conservationists, the doctors, and the indigenous people that are closest to this plant. Um, I'm really holding the hope that we can meditate on, you know, this vital connection that we have between preserving and respecting both nature and culture. And then what happens when we're faced with forgotten indigenous language and culture and teachings? What happens when we're faced with overcultivation, with capitalism and, you know, quite frankly, modern society, so.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, um. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, of course. I got to hear a little bit about Kana from you last time we chatted. So I knew some of the stuff that you just shared, but I know that a lot of people out there probably have never heard of what Kana is. And so I'm really grateful that you are here today with a lot of knowledge that you have around it to be able to share that with us mean, um, so I know you touched on a few things there. Um, it being in a pathogen is very interesting. And I'm curious, like with, you know, when I think of empathogens, most of the ones that I know are are synthetic. And so, like, you, you know, you yeah. mentioned MDMA, and then I'm familiar with 3MMC is another one that I'm familiar with. And both of those are synthetic. And to me, they they have, you know, a decent amount of like toxicity to them, at least, you know, a degree of toxicity that warrants like, you know, caution and and, you know, the desire to be like mindful around using those sort of things. So it's really cool to hear about this. Natural and pathogen called Kana. And you mentioned that you have a close relationship with it. So I'm curious to know, like, how did that relationship with Kana start for you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, actually, one of my very first experiences ever with macrodoses of psychedelics was with Kana. Um, And it was really profound for me. But then I kind of moved away. I didn't really explore with it again just because of the circumstances. And I was working really with psilocybin um, and had a pretty deep relationship with mushrooms, as we all do at certain times. And uh, this kind of rediscovery of Kana came from, uh, I, I did an ayahuasca journey. Um, and it was three nights of ayahuasca and I had never experienced ayahuasca before. And while the experience was absolutely profound and beautiful, and I had nothing but deep, deep respect for the grandmother, Aya, um, it was terrifying and it ripped me open in ways that i was not ready for um so much so that in my integration of it i was really dealing with some ptsd and some instability and feelings and emotions and visions coming up that even a microdose of psilocybin would set me off um, and even the emotions coming up sober would set me off and it was by working with microdoses like so very small doses of Kona, was I able to stay tender in my heart, stay gentle in my heart and start to cultivate a safe container within myself to allow this shadow and this work to start coming up and me to be able to process it with therapists and support systems and um, really rediscover myself and rediscover what it means to, to love every part of you, right? Whether it's being in alignment with your shadow self or your light. Um, and then eventually both of them are together. So I am deeply, deeply grateful to Kana. Um, and I love her so deeply. And I, you know, there's no magic, there's no magic pill in psychedelics. And I think sometimes people like to say like microdosing for everyone, but there's not. And, you know, Kana might not be a plant for you. Um, and it, hopefully my stories and my experiences might inspire someone to find a plant that does look for them and does resonate. Um, mm
0: so sure. yeah beautiful so it sounds like kind was a really big catalyst for you for integration after that ayahuasca experience that you had which was maybe one of the most challenging was that one of the most challenging psychedelic experiences that you've had
1: oh absolutely it was the most challenging experience that i i'd ever i'd ever had um i almost didn't go back in for my third night because it was so challenging after the second night and i went back in and the third night was even worse than the second night in terms of challenging and darkness and really terrifying and um you know, I still came out of it. I have very close connections to many of the people that I sat in ceremony with because of the experience. And, um, you know, it's been the ultimate work in mindful integration and showing up for the work every day because of it. And I'm so, so insanely grateful uh, for the experience because it was so beautiful and it, it opened me up in ways that I don't think I would have been able to get to otherwise. Um, and at the same time, like I had this experience where I suddenly felt you know, unsafe and what was coming up within me. And then by working with Connor, it was like someone, you know, giving me a gentle tap on the hand and saying like, hey, it's safe, like these feelings are safe. You having these experiences are safe and you can come along this journey and you can work with psychedelics in a way that feels really tender and it doesn't have to be so aggressive on your system. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about Connor is for people that are scared about psychedelics. Or concern, they don't want to have a bad trip, which I totally understand. Especially after the story I just told, um, they can begin to build a relationship with plants working plants working harmoniously with their body, and begin to build a relationship with a plant where they're feeling their heart begin to open and feeling a reconnection with their body, um, and building the foundation there before they move on to something you know that's more quote unquote intense. So. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Okay, well, it's great to hear that you were able to use Kana in this way. Uh, I'm curious, maybe for the listeners who don't know as much about it, would you be able to share with us a little bit of what the experiential effects are or maybe even for starting like with what the health benefits are? So maybe starting like from what you research and what you know about Kana, like, yeah, what what are the benefits of using Kana? And then from there, maybe like sharing a little bit about you personally, like, um, you know, what the experience is like for you when you actually take it. Maybe you can guide people through um, a little bit of what to expect when actually consuming it.
1: Absolutely. So um, I'll speak a little bit. I'd like to speak about the micro or just small doses of Connor, and then I'll touch on the macro doses because I okay. think for many people, what will be most accessible and what people will find online will be more kind of the micro or the small dose version. Um, okay. So Connor is an empathogen to so a heart opener. So first, um, chemically, it is an SSRI. So there's 32 known alkaloids within Connor right now, but it's, they're still exploring it. It's known as one of the most um, complex ethnobotanically available plants on the planet, which is amazing. And it's one of the only that I know of that is active on a microgram scale. Um, I know LSD is as well. So it's very potent. And then there's two main alkaloids that give it um, these effects. It's the mesembrine alkaloid and the mesembrino. So mesembrine is going to act as an SSRI, so a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And this is what um, antidepressants and angiolitis come to assess, right? And so this is going to be a natural version of that. Um, And then in addition, the mesembrinone is also going to work um, as a VMAT2 protein um, activator, and it's going to work on your dopamine receptor sites and also on our opioid receptor sites. But there is no known dependence. So, essentially, the health benefits are that this can help can help with depression, with anxiety. It can help people that have long-term and chronic pain. It can help people that are struggling with feelings of addiction, of codependency, and of mood disorders. And it can help them in a way where they will not feel dependent on this plant. Because over time, your amygdala actually changes so that you're less reactive to your triggers, um and you might need kind of less which is one of the most beautiful things about this plant um so for people looking to take it kind of more regularly think of it as a mood booster can quell anxiety calm the mind give you a boost of energy um, and help you feel more sovereign and more safe in your feelings and in your body
0: wow i didn't know about it's you know being related to an SSRI or like the the fact that it can be seen as a natural SSRI. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm curious, like the first question that comes to mind is like what research has been done around comparing it to other like typical pharmaceutical SSRIs. And I'm my guess is that we're not there yet or like we're just starting to get into that realm of things.
1: Yes, we are. We are getting there. So one thing I do want to say about research is that unfortunately we live in a world where science and research is so heavily dependent on funding and on yeah. bias and who's funding it. So as hopefully we get more information out there about Kana and more of you amazing listeners get excited about Kana, there will be more funding for more research. But right now, there's an incredible pharmaceutical company that provides a standardized extract of Kana. It's called Zembrin. So if you're interested, absolutely try it. It is what I would consider a microdose of Kana. And they have funded a lot of research and actually prescribe or you can buy Zembrin as a natural alternative to antidepressants and analytics. And there's research showing that. And if you would like, and your listeners would like, I will send you a list of studies that are showing all of the incredible promise and benefits of using Connor.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing if you could do that.
1: And then I will just say, because you know safety and feeling safe and transparency is the utmost importance of what we are doing in this space. Um, if you are currently on a pharmaceutical SSRI, a microdose of Kana, or a small dose is typically safe but because you are on an ssri please consult your doctor or your health practitioner before you start working with Kana. i can personally share stories of clients and customers and people that i know working with connor who have been able to successfully taper off of their SSRI, their pharmaceutical SSRIs, more quickly and with less side effects using Kana and many who are now completely off of their SSRIs and are using Kana without feeling a dependency like they were to pharmaceuticals, which is incredible. But those are individual stories and I'm not a doctor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Of course. So see, I'm, I'm also curious, yeah, maybe would you be able to, so you describe some of the benefits of it and how it's being used and even noting some of the research that's starting to happen uh, with Kana, that sounds amazing. I'm curious, like for you yourself, when you take um, a microdose of Kana, what does that feel like in your body? And maybe could you contrast it to like microdosing psilocybin, for example? Because I feel like that's probably what a lot of people are familiar with, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And I'm glad you asked for the comparison to psilocybin because, you know, many of us are beginning our healing or our psychedelic journeys with with the incredible benefits of mushrooms, right? We love the mycelial network. But um, I tell people that think about psilocybin as working on your brain, right? It's a really heady, cognitive, wonderful plant that's going to hone and focus and help you get into a flow state, help you problem solve, whereas Kana is going to help calm and quiet the mind. It's going to open up your heart and lift you up. So think about um, what psilocybin is doing for optimizing your brain, for lack of a better word, Kana is doing for the heart. And I, I personally really like to stack microdoses of psilocybin and Kana because you're getting like that mind heart connection. Um, and I, I don't think we're spending enough time on the heart. You know, I don't think we spend enough time um, to really understand what it means, not to be open hearted, but be in connection with like our true passion, our true desires, um, our body and really listen to it. And I think Kana can really help that. Um, so that's what it feels like. It really feels like a warming sensation. And for me, I, uh, I struggle severely with anxiety. Um, and Connor quiets the mind down. And it'll put a big smile on my face, which I typically have anyways. And, you know, <laughs> I live in LA with a four oh five and the traffic is horrific. And if I get cut off, just imagine you probably won't be super mad. You might just be able to have better empathy for it. Um, but in macrodoses, It is completely opening your heart and you can feel it throughout your chest and your body. You can feel your muscles kind of just relax and, you know, suddenly it's so easy for you to connect with another human being and to find safety and opening up and sharing and feeling the ease and true intimacy with another human being. And I think, you know, with these past years of COVID and of society asking us to work harder and just Keep our heads down and not really connect like we need that sometimes we need that uh assistance in finding safety and intimacy once again um and intimacy outside of romantic relationships right um, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be truly vulnerable and present with another human being
0: okay beautiful yeah i was gonna ask you about the getting into the macrodoses there because it sounds like yeah i'd say is it true that most of your experience yourself is with microdosing versus macrodosing
1: I've had quite a few macro doses, okay, nice. um, but obviously in terms of frequency, you can microdose more frequently than macrodosing.
0: Yeah. I'm not out
1: here doing a Connor journey on a daily basis. Thank goodness. Right. I do not recommend that's not okay for anyone. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's a really, really beautiful plant to work with in a macro dose.
0: And what's, what's been your experience in terms of the setting for that? So, you know, I'm familiar with psilocybin ceremonies and DMT ceremonies, maybe ayahuasca. Like when it comes to kana, I'm yeah. curious first, like what is the cultural, like maybe um backdrop for working with this in a ceremonial setting? Like are there certain cultural mm-hmm. things that are are typically brought into play? And then also like, yeah, just physically, like what does that look like in terms of setup? Like is that even a thing? Like is a ma- is a kana ceremony a thing? Do you do people do it with other psychedelics or yeah, just what 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 would a macrodose kana ceremony look like?
1: So, you know, I think a Kana ceremony is a thing and can be a thing, um, but um, I don't think it has as much cultural weight as say like an ayahuasca ceremony or a peyote ceremony, which is, you know, because Kana just, it hasn't had that sort of impact on the United States. Um, I know the indigenous people of South Africa, so the Kori and the Sun, they would use it on in daily life. You know, they would braid the root and ferment it and then chew it all day long, um, mixing it with their saliva. So essentially microdosing, which is incredible. But then they would use it in macrodoses to awaken their animal spirits and, um, you know, to speak with their ancestors and also to celebrate. Like it was used recreationally. Uh, which I think a lot of these incredible sacred plants around the world were used. They were used in ceremony, but they were also used in celebration. And um, many uh, Dutch explorers who uh, landed in South Africa in like the 1600s and 1700s would document seeing the indigenous dancing around with glee and gaiety and just being so happy working with this plant. Um, and so, you know, think about that and bring it into a ceremonial setting. I think a lot of the psychedelic space is focused around Solo experiences right um even in ayahuasca oftentimes like everyone's on their own mat and like we're not touching we're not talking we're not interacting and you're in your own um but the experiences that i've had with conness they are very social so you know we're setting like a really beautiful safe space lots of like cushions and blankets and pillows but it's not something where everyone has like this this closed off experience. Some people might want like a blindfold and to go rest, but many people are social. It is supposed to be a plant of connection and of empathy. And what better way to experience that than with talking people back and forth. And um, for me, it's one of the most important things is being able to be in that experience and connect and interact with people and then also find the safety in, okay, I don't need to talk anymore. Now I can just be quiet and be able to navigate what that intimacy feels like.
0: Beautiful. I, I'm curious, so you talked a little bit about the uh, the cultural backdrop in terms of just like, you know, the indigenous peoples of South Africa initially using it. And I know that even during our call that we had before this, you had, I think you had showed me, or maybe it was even something that I just found when I was looking it up after, like it's fairly accessible in certain in certain parts of the world. Like it's literally like there's products you can buy like at the, at the grocery store or like at the corner store where they sell it in like little, um doses right like it's fairly accessible in some places mm, would you say
1: kind of um so it's okay like it is fairly accessible um there's a bit of a conus shortage going on actually um okay so mm-hmm. a lot of places it's sold out um and in con is absolutely at risk of being over harvested And overcultivated. So, you know, one of the problems, or the problems, but the issues that we're facing with kana is that it is exploding in popularity. It's getting bigger and more popular. Um, But the way that it grows is so finicky. It takes three to four years to mature until you can use it as medicine. Um, And depending on the environment, depending on the number of uh, number of days of rain that you get each year in South Africa, its alkaloid content can completely shift. and in addition to that, KANA, K-A-N-N-A or K-A-N-A is also referred to a cannabis mix mm. um, or just straight cannabis. So many people confuse it thinking that they're buying KANA, but they're actually buying cannabis, vice versa. Mm. Um, so that might be where you see some of the accessibility, but there are definitely KANA brands popping up and you can definitely buy it online. I haven't seen it in any corner stores yet um but perhaps they
0: are in Canada okay yeah no this might have been something that I saw online for for some other random place I think it might have been been in South Africa but i be curious for you then like as someone based in LA like what does your immediate community look like in terms of Kana usage like obviously you in your own little networking community you're probably like a bright beacon of light yeah. for Kana and you're sharing <laughs> it with all of your friends and everyone sees you yeah. as like as a, a Kana ambassador um but what would you say about like the LA culture maybe at large like do you feel like it's still pretty well, un- like is it unknown or do you see like th- more people learning about it and it becoming more popular?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So since my first experiences with Kana a few years ago to now, um, it's absolutely gaining popularity. Um, most people I talk to still are like, Kana. what are you talking about? Are you talking about Kava? And I'm like, no, Kana. Um, So it's gaining popularity. But I think something that I'm really grateful for is that there are more people that um, are having experiences with Kana and people who are acting as facilitators who want to provide those experiences and help people explore. Um, So I would say it's on its way to being really popular. Um, And there are a lot of people that are interested in exploring. So they're buying it online. Um, They're buying it from Etsy. They're buying resins. You can snuff it. Um, So the people are exploring, Um, but of course, with that, you know, there needs to be hopefully some more safety and some more understanding about what people are buying online. Like you can, you'll see something that says like a hundred to one extract or a 50 to one extract. Don't buy that. Um, Really make sure you're understanding where the plant's coming from, the alkaloid content if you can, the COAs, um, and go slowly.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like that's the case with a lot of psychedelics right now. I mean, I, I feel like the psychedelic yeah. renaissance at large just still feels like a little bit like the wild, wild west. So I wonder how long that's going to totally stay like that or like what factors are going to come into play that are going to turn it into something else. But yeah, it definitely feels like that. And with all psychedelics, you know?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a wild few years for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It already has been.
0: <laughs> what inspired you to work with Kana in the first
1: place? Um, so I think my, you know, I didn't choose Kana from my first experience. It was introduced to me. And then I think from my experience uh, with ayahuasca um, to kind of rediscovering it, I felt such a connection. Mm-hmm. And um, knowing that it's safe in so much of my community outside of the psychedelic space are what I would call like psychedelic curious, right, or wellness curious. And I have people messaging me and DMing me every day being like, I'm like, I keep hearing about mushrooms and this, and like, I want to try it. And, you know, I've said the word safety so many times and the safety aspect has been so important to me and knowing that, you know, I can help someone take these really safe, gentle first steps into the world of psychedelics with this incredible plant. Um, Like how could you want to do anything else? Right. Like knowing that people can, find like their own heart and find this container within themselves and find sovereignty in choosing uh, what feels right for them. Uh, so it's too important not today to keep my life too. That's
0: beautiful. We talked a little bit about this a couple of times, um, mentioning the ability of Kana to help you connect to your heart. Oh. And you've mentioned about your, just relationship with Kana in general. And I'm if you could share with us a little bit more about what your connection to Kana feels like in your body. Um, and maybe just like, yeah, when, when the experience is, itself is settling in. So when you've, let's say maybe you're taking a, uh, you can either t- discuss microdose or maybe macrodose makes more sense because you can be a bit more, um, the effects are a bit more noticeable yeah. perhaps, but I'm just curious if you could share this a little bit more, but like how that feels in your body, maybe contrasting it to other, um, other substances, but really for you, like Phoebe, like, what is it like for you to, to, be present with this medicine
1: yeah it um like my my entire nervous system relaxes Mm. um and if you for me it's this feeling of like my body feels like it can just be i don't have to hold it up i don't have to contort it to present it to the world in a certain type of way Um, when I'm sitting in communion with this plant or kind of settling in, like my entire body just feels really safe. Um, And I feel really comfortable. Like I get a tingling sensation sometimes in like my hands and my arms and my legs. And I feel really warm. Like it absolutely heats me up. Um, But my mind goes quiet. And like I said, it's like this heart opening sensation and my entire body just feels So happy to exist exactly as it is. Um, It doesn't feel the need to present itself. Um, I think sometimes with uh, psilocybin um, or maybe LSD, you know, we can get some anxiety around like our body and like we're a little anxious and like, what is that? And it's the complete antithesis of Kana. You just feel so Mm -hmm. comfortable. Um, I like to tell people, imagine when you're like in a really good yoga flow and you're so present and connected to your body and you can just move. Like that is what it feels like.
0: Okay. I'm thinking about a uh, hape now, too. Have you tried
1: hape? I have not been called to hape, but I've heard yeah. people feeling really, really grounded after that. Yeah. Um, so I would come, yeah, I've worked with Mapacho before okay um and Mampacho was definitely like way more tingly it's like super super tingly and like really grounded you're like wow I'm here on this earth (laughs) with Connor you're just kind of you're on earth but like not heavily you're just here
0: (laughs) right okay cool (laughs) yeah I I can't wait to try it and uh see for myself like what the differences are and and all that so thanks for speaking to that and how it feels like for you
1: Of course. And thank you for receiving it. And I'm so excited for you to build a relationship with this plant.
0: Yeah, me too. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: So I wanted to take maybe a step back now and
1: maybe
0: moving moments for a few moments, moving away from like Kana in particular, and just kind of looking at the work that you do in general, like, you know, being an advocate of Kana, uh, you're being an advocate of plant medicines. And obviously you've spoken very highly about the impact that plant medicines have had on your life. Uh, and on the life of people around you and some of the space holding work that you've been doing. I also potentially would love to get into that too. Um, But this is a really big question, but I want to throw it at you. And the question is, um, how do you think plant medicines can help heal the world?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. I believe that when humans were young, like the human existence was young, right? Um, You might've heard within like the Amazonian tribes there was like the original song, and the connection that the indigenous people had to this earth. Um, and they called it like a, a song in a language. And you know, as society has westernized and globalized and sped up, uh, we've lost, uh, many of us have lost that connection with earth. And we've lost that ability to understand the language of Mother Nature, Pachamama, plants, the universe, whatever resonates with you. And, um, I believe that plants and plants as medicine has become really popular in the last few years because it is the earth calling us back um, and asking us to remember this language. And I think when we build relationships with psilocybin, Kana, whatever plant medicine we choose, we we are gaining a remembrance of that connection and a remembrance of that language. And it's by reconnecting with life itself that we can heal ourselves and hopefully,
0: heal the world. That's amazing. I love how you talk about building relationships with plants and, and in doing so, you kind of give them uh, a personality, you give them, you know, beinghood, like you treat them as a as a, as a being. And that's something that I think is so important uh, to understand, especially with plant medicines, because they're, you know, they're called spirit plant medicines for a reason. There's a spirit there.
1: Absolutely. There's
0: a direct, you know, almost like a direct portal for us to contact nature right it's like a way for us to be Mm -hmm. in communication with nature so I love that you shaped that as you know building a relationship with with plants and you've spoken to that a couple times throughout our conversation just how you've built this conversation like you've had an ongoing conversation with Kana it's not just been something that you've kind of like tried and then like made like had one experience and a separate experience but it sounds like your experiences like weave into each other and like there's an ongoing conversation that you have not only with Kana, but it sounds like for you, for other plants too. So that's really beautiful to hear. And yeah, I love what you said about um, g- giving us access to, you know, remembering our connection and really focusing on that remembrance piece and that being a key to, to being able to heal. Um, Cause really a lot of like, I agree with you, a lot of the um, issues that we have that are preventing us from feeling whole or feeling integrated or feeling healed come from that, lack of connection um whether it's to ourselves or to the environment or to other people and when we can just remember like who we are and the the earth that we're a part of and the systems that we're connected to then it does feel like there's a there's a rich like wholeness there that we have access to and i love what you said about that so thank you for for speaking to all of that
1: of course, and thank you for for sharing in that understanding and for advocating for it as well.
0: yeah, I wonder for you, like aside from plant medicines, um, are there other practices that you keep throughout your your week or days that really help you to to achieve that remembrance? Um, you know, for some people it might be yoga, for some people it could be exercise. I feel like there's lots of different avenues to reach You know these peak experiences psychedelics are like kind of one tool but i'm curious for you would you be able to share a little bit more about just your personal life in terms of what are some other tools that maybe aren't related to psychedelics or plant medicines that help you uh, remember
1: absolutely and thank you for asking um so yoga definitely um i think for me it's just landing on the mat and having a place to show up wholly for yourself um and, like, really reconnect with yourself, right? And, like, remember, like, this is your body holding you up. And, like, what a gift it is to even be able to move. Like, that has been a huge piece for me. And then um, this is more recently come back into my life because I kind of took a break in 2021. But um, uh, surfing, I'm not good at surfing. <laughs> but what it is, <laughs> not good. I have a wave storm, but we love her nonetheless um but it's just paddling out on the ocean um there's this beach near where i live called topanga beach and you can go out in the morning and you can watch the sunrise like over the topanga canyon and just being in the flow and the rhythm of mama ocean and like feeling that connection to the rhythm of life is i mean it is such a grounding experience um and then physically grounding as in, I'm never like taking off my shoes and just like being in the sand or like being on earth. And I think for many people, it'll be like, okay. And then you do it and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. Um, I heard from this ethnobotanist who said, anytime he travels to fight jet lag, he grounds. Like the second he gets off like the airplane or out of the airport, he goes to the nearest like part of nature and takes off his shoes and like grounds there. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only other like grounding, quote unquote, practice that I, I really try to incorporate is um, just sitting like in silence, even if it's for like 10 or 15 minutes and being comfortable with, you know, silence outside of like the world, right? Like we all, we're always hearing like the humming of the, of the refrigerator and our phone going off and a car is going by and is there a place where you can get in just complete silence and just sit with that? Um, and reconnect with that, and be alone with your thoughts, and with the earth, um, and really ground back in, so. Mm.
0: Those are all great things. Surfing sounds really awesome. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm not the best surfer. I've surfed a couple times, but I would- Yes, do you surf? No, yeah, like, I learned, I learned in uh, Costa Rica, I think, was the first time I got to surf, which was amazing, because it was super, uh, like, warm there, and then surfed maybe one other time um, since then, but there's a really, yeah, I'd say there's a pretty strong surfing community here in BC, surprisingly. Like, you know, a lot of people think that in Canada there might not be lots of surfing, but uh, you can go up to the island here to, to a place called Tofino and a lot of people surf there with like really thick wetsuits. And um, even though it's like freezing cold, they still have a lot of fun. And yeah, it seems to me like- We love it. It's definitely something that I want to incorporate more in my life as the years go on, is like being able to surf more. Because uh, it just seems like such a cool flow flow state activity. Exactly. And yeah, the ocean is just, uh, is a magical magical being
1: (laughs) magical place to be do you snowboard too so I snowboard and that's also like being in like the rhythm when you're in a flow like on a fresh powder day is like oh my gosh
0: yeah it's beautiful I actually don't snowboard I'm going to learn how to snowboard soon hopefully but I ski a lot so I've been skiing since I was like a young kid and skiing for me is is, something that I can definitely can definitely allow me to get into a flow state here and there
1: yeah right and it's like so often like F- being fully transparent, I used to shun anyone who was like, I'm getting in a flow state with psychedelics. And I was so jaded and judgmental because I thought it was so um like biohackery and I really okay. did not resonate with like <laughs> biohacking. And then um it was like with surfing and snowboarding and feeling like the flow state and feeling in connection to Earth that I was like oh, okay, they're just talking about being in connection to earth and we just weren't speaking the same language, but we truly were.
0: So would you say that you're biohacky now? Because I feel like when you talk about microdosing Kana, like I think that's t- to a lot of people that might come across as like biohacky. So I'm curious. I know, you, I know. I got,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got called a biohacking hippie by a journalist.
0: Oh, really? How did that feel?
1: Um, And I was <laughs> mortified. So I was like, I'm not a biohacker. <laughs> Well, I was like, I'm not a biohacker. <laughs> i like, I don't measure anything, you know, like, um, but I think it's great, you know, like maybe I, perhaps I am biohacking. I would not use that word, but if someone would like to classify me that way, you know, whatever you feel called to use. <laughs> so I'm okay with it. Do you feel like a biohacker?
0: Uh, sometimes. I don't really fully identify the word biohacker. I have some friends that really like more fully are, but I'd I'd say like, to some extent, maybe we all are biohackers. I don't know. It really depends on like how yeah. you how you define it, you know. Because like compared to the average person who has access to no technology, like we're all a lot of us now have like app like smart watches or like smart devices that are tracking exactly. things. Like even if you're just tracking even some of your runs on like Strava or something, you know. Like I feel like you're kind of biohacking. So it depends just the to what extent you are a biohacker. But I think we're all kind of biohackers at this point. Yeah, that's true.
1: That's true. And to anyone out there listening, if you're a biohacker. I love what you're doing. Please keep biohacking.
0: <laughs> we got mad love for you if you're out there in your Yeah, we do.
1: I do don't, have don't mad love for you.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Um, I have another big open-ended question for you.
1: Yes, I'm ready.
0: Um, so if everyone could be offered a free class in something to help move them closer to their truth and where they want to be in life, what do you think that that class should be on?
1: So I think, I think the best class that everyone could take is a class about what it feels like to teaching us what it is to feel safe in your body and safe on your heart. I think one of the biggest things that I see in society and that I've personally experienced is that We feel safest in our brains. We feel safest when we can intellectualize and put science and numbers and everything behind it. But the second we move away from that and move into emotions and feelings, it can be a very terrifying place to be. And um, a class on that, a class on feeling safe with emotions rising up, like to me, that is the avenue to begin your healing journey. That is the avenue to begin to find your truth in life and your mission on this earth.
0: Wow, thank you. That's a beautiful share.
1: (laughs) You're welcome, thank you.
0: That's an incredible answer too. No, I think I I agree with you a lot in that. I think a lot of people don't um, focus on, like we're just, our culture is definitely focused more externally and intellectually. So tapping into our bodies more and focusing on that is really important. Yeah, exactly. it's crazy that they you know these are things that are never taught in school like thinking even just thinking about what that class would look like it's like interesting you know you have to yeah. kind of really put some thought into it because I mean I, I mean what comes to mind for me is like meditation I feel like that's a good avenue to start going down yeah. because it's a lot of, it's like mindfulness right well, and like once, if you're able to be mindful yeah breath work too um, yeah those are all some modalities but there isn't when I think back to like high school and stuff like that there aren't really classes that tackle that I think super well I think in some, some schools, there are, and in some places, um, that's maybe becoming more applicable and more available to people in certain ways because people are recognizing the need for that. But definitely hasn't been something that's been a part of education for a while. So I really appreciate that answer. And yeah, we totally agree with you. I feel like that's something that all of us could really benefit from learning more about.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. It's, it's so funny when I was speaking out the answer to you, I was like, well, what would that class even look like? I don't know, but um, maybe it is something where it's like giving us the tools to explore like our own safety or something with like meditation and breath work, maybe, I don't know. But um, I know, I remember when I was in college, I took this class and it was just called stress. And the entire class was about stress and the science of stress, what it means to be stressed, being okay with being stressed and tools for coping with it and it was the first time that I'd been told like stress is okay like it's Mm. totally okay and there are tools to like work with it and um it's okay when all of these emotions come up when you are stressed and like I'd never had like a teacher or like a learning like that I was like a freshman in college and like everything I'd done up to that was like so cerebral and it like completely shifted my perspective of Uh, of our bodies right and like what happens um in our body I'm sure most listeners know the book the body keeps score um fantastic book if you haven't listened to it um really resonated with me and feeling safe in my body
0: amazing yeah well maybe include that in the show notes too I do think a lot of people may be familiar but I'd really echo that too and say that it's definitely a a book to check out for sure yeah amazing well as we begin to wrap up our conversation today i'm curious if there's anything that maybe we haven't got to touch on today that you wanted to share with the audience any like kind of last message Um, i'll ask you shortly about like ways that people can support you or check out the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. but before we get to those things like is there any other last thing that you wanted to share maybe about kana or yeah about the project that you're working on or or just anything that you felt like you maybe didn't get the chance to share already
1: yeah, well, thank you so much for giving me the space and permission to speak out anything else. And, um, you know, I think through this podcast, one, thank you for the incredible work that you're doing, not just in providing resources to people and talking to people like myself, but just holding the space um, for people to do their own exploring. And so uh, the, the only thing that I really hope that people can take away is that, you um, you know, as you begin or continue your exploration within psychedelics, you will be faced with people who say that they can heal you or that a plant can heal you, but know that the healing will always come from deep inside of you. And plants can be incredible tools and bridges to learn from them and to learn about healing. But ultimately, you will be healing yourself and you have to do your own work, but know that you never have to do it alone.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Phoebe. You're welcome. For people listening, how can they get in touch with you, or how can they learn more about the projects that you're working? You mentioned that you're working on documentary. Um, maybe you want to share a little bit about when that might be released, and then yeah, if there's any other projects or ways that people can support you, uh, please let us know.
1: Amazing. Um. So first is the best place to contact me is on my Instagram account. So it's at underscore Phoebe underscore McPherson. We'll put it in the show notes. Um. And you can also, it will be in my Instagram bio. There's a phone number that is actually a Google voice number and you can text me so people have access. If you need something quick or have a question about Connor and want easy answers, I always answer that. And that's easier to get in touch with than email. So I don't really provide that. Right. Um, and then uh, in my Instagram bio, there will be a link, hopefully by the time this goes live, where people will be able to learn more about the documentary, learn about what we're doing, and if you would like to donate to the documentary, even $5 will go such a long way for us in what we're trying to do. Um, We, our our focus and our hope really is that we will make this as for the people as possible, um, that this will just help fund uh, foundations and access and tools for people to explore harm reduction, explore opening up the heart, explore access um, to medicine. Um, so those, those are the best ways. Uh, please, please, please reach out. Um, you can also Google or go to yoursouthnode.com and that um, will have access and information about the documentary and what I'm up to with Kana as well.
0: Okay, brilliant. Wow. Well, thank you Phoebe. Thanks for sharing all those exciting things that you're working on and just for your presence and your thank openness, you. transparency during our conversation today. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. It's been great to learn more about Kana. I definitely learned a lot more about the plant myself that I didn't know about. And I'm sure all of our listeners today also were able to um, yeah, gain some more insights and knowledge around this plant. And I'm really excited that um, you are doing this work out there to help spread the knowledge around it. So thank you. Thank you so much thank for you yeah all the work that you're doing and yeah i really hope that we get the chance to have another conversation sometime in the future
1: yes soon and hopefully i'll be in canada sometime soon and we can meet in person too
0: yeah it would be amazing okay well enjoy the rest of your day uh, phoebe and yeah it was such a pleasure to chat with you
1: thank you you too bye
0: thank you so much for listening today if you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving a review or sharing it with your friends If you would like to stay tuned to future updates with the flying sage make sure to head on to our website and sign up for our email newsletter you can also follow us on instagram as well i also wanted to mention that we have recently just launched a brand new membership with the flying sage which gets you access to our new community integration platform as well as many awesome perks like free access to events discount on merchandise and exclusive member only virtual events all the details can be found on our website looking forward to having you tune in to our next episode and until then, wishing you blessings and love. It was being-